I also really need to watch what we do in the shadows because I still haven't seen it. Um, yes, you do. And I need to watch the show. I've been told. Yes, you do. That's on Hulu. <gasps> Did you see that they took Golden Girls away from me? They probably moved it to some other dumb lifetime-only streaming service that cost $20 a month. I was so angry. I was so angry. Evidently, our next-door neighbor is mad that we're not mowing a part of the yard that's not ours to mow. That's fun. Okay. <laughs> My landlord told me. When he came over to fix the floor. Was he telling mm -hmm. you you should mow that part or was he making a joke at how they suck and don't mow that part? It was a little it was a little bit of both because he was like if you can just ask your like the person who's coming to mow if they can do it, that'd be cool. I don't know why he's making such a big deal out of it. He's like, I'm pretty sure that that's the city property because it's outside of your fence. Yeah. But whatever. Like <laughs> Just make this old man happy and not complain to me every time I come over. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, it's the area of grass, like, behind our fence on the alley, which I'm pretty sure is city. But I think that our neighbor mows his. And so because we don't mow ours, he doesn't like how it looks or something. But whatever. Old people. Yeah. Hey, as long as we can't hear them yelling and cussing and fussing at each other like we could at the apartment, I don't care. They can complain to Ricardo all they want about stuff that's not ours. Alright. Alright. Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 36 of our series, Seeking Out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. And today we are heading down to visit the Big Jesus in Brazil. I should have looked into that. That thing's probably haunted. I mean, probably. Holy shit. That's one giant Jesus. I always thought it was funny that they uh, made fun of it in World of Warcraft. God, I forgot about that. The giant... Uh goblin statue at booty bay yeah <laughs> i was so surprised when i went there and saw it and i was just like oh you guys went there okay <laughs> you talking about booty bay uh sure all right tell me about it um actually i'm not oh disappointing i am i am however talking about wallace souza and his very popular TV show. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, I will be talking about the uh, Joelma building and the mystery of the 13 souls. Ooh, why is it always going to be 13? That's a great question. <laughs> 13 floors are bad. 13 anything date-wise 13th day Friday the 13th are bad 13th floor is bad 13 ghosts is a pretty good movie 13 children would be horrifying oh god yeah 
I mean, either to have or just in general. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yes. My story's a little uh, heavy. It's like, uh, it's like a, it's like a tragic uh, chicken fried steak covered in <laughs> true crime haunting gravy. That is my favorite analogy and description of what we do. Because it's like, ever. it's going to be this good. This podcast is like a horrifying chicken fried steak. You're going to enjoy it, but it's going to be <laughs> sitting on you for a while. You might have a little indigestion. I don't know how yours is in comparison, but we usually try to leave the listeners of something a little less horrifying. Hey, mine's not, not horrifying, um, but mine is definitely... Uh, not funny. I mean, it's a little funny. It's not lighthearted. Yeah, I, I guess. I was going to say but, with mine, like, this is not going to be one of my cheery episodes. I'm not going to tell you about some fucking cannibal ghost boat people or an old lady who lives with her husband's corpse. I will put out the warning now that um, this <laughs> you're laughing I'm just laughing. It's like, it's not going to be one of my cheery episodes, like the one with the cannibals on the boat. <laughs> or the old lady who lives in her husband's corpse. I mean, those were pretty cheery, okay? It's not the Mahaha. No. Uh, this story will have, I think, uh, some frank discussions about suicide. It is not about suicide. They're, like, the people in the story don't commit suicide but there will be i think a discussion to be had about it okay uh so oh i there's okay there's kind of one suicide but it has nothing to do with the big tragic part of the story okay so yeah i'm just gonna go uh, <laughs> let's get this dark heavy chicken fried steak out of the way please it was february 1st 1974 Sao Paulo, Brazil, was at the time home to about 8 million people. The, I spelled it wrong, holy shit. The Joellum building was 25 stories of reinforced concrete located at the intersection of two major streets across from City Hall. It was mostly occupied by a banking investment type company boasting offices for around 1,000 employees. Uh, there were a total of about 756 occupants in the building at around nine o'clock that morning. The first 10 floors of the building made up the parking garage and the rest were offices. Uh, and the offices are divided with wooden partitions and they have desks and shelves, the whole thing. Tile ceilings uh, made out of cellulose fiber tiles with wooden straps. The interior was also fully carpeted and it had drapes over the windows to shade the workers from the tropical sun. Because of the weird location, you know how they're like Broadway runs weird, like zigzag across, not zigzag, diagonal across New York. And so it makes for some like weird intersections. Yeah. This is kind of like that where it's almost like there's a Y in the middle of the city. So because of where it's sat, the high rise portion of the building was segmented with a central stairwell and an elevator column that housed four elevators and it ran between the northern and southern halves of the building. And that was the only way they were connected. Uh, they were just two basically separate buildings connected by this elevator column. The roofs are actually unfinished floors because the owner intended on adding additional stories later on. But that didn't happen. 
The AC unit on the 12th floor had required a specific type of circuit breaker that differed from the other units in the building. It's said that there were none of that type of breaker available at the time, so they installed the unit with a bypass that allowed for the unit to run. That was where the fire started. The fire was first discovered at 8.50 a.m. And oh shit, why did that happen? Is everything okay? Are you there? Uh, The fire was first discovered around 8.50 a.m. An occupant of a neighboring building called the fire department. Fire units arrived at around 9.10. Additional units were called in, but the... They were delayed in the morning traffic, and they didn't actually reach the scene until about 9.30. And by that time, the flames were already nearing the roof. The fire made quick work of all the combustibles. I told you it was all wood and cellulose fibers and fabric. It just ran through the office, desks, shelves, carpet, all acting as fuel as the flames passed across the northern part of the building, making it to the stairwell And then the fire extended to around the 15th floor through the elevator stairwell area. The smoke and heat making the remaining 10 floors treacherous, if not impossible, to navigate. At the same time, the fire rose along the outer walls, eventually breaking through the windows of the 14th floor and consuming the flammable materials inside there, going across to the stairwell and the southern portion of the building where it shot out of those windows, and it took less than an hour for the fire to reach what was left of the top floors. Approximately 300 firefighters were on the scene, equipped with 12 pumpers, three 144-foot aerial ladders, and an elevating platform. The first attempt by firefighters to enter the building by the central stairway stopped at the 11th floor, smoke and intense heat making it impossible for them to continue. Helicopters were unable to save the 171 people who were trapped on the roof due to the thermal column of heat and smoke, as well as the lack of sufficient Mm. landing space. The emergency responders used the ladders to try to rescue people on the ledges, but only managed to reach the 15th floor. The fire finally ran out of fuel and ceased around 10.30 a.m. 300 people had been evacuated early on before a whole lot of this got started. Only 81 of the 171 people on the roof survived, most of them having hidden under draining tiles uh, in the roof for protection. All of those who had escaped to the southern roof, that was 60 people, were found dead. 41 people were rescued over ladders. Some people were on ledges above the 15th floor and were climbing down what looks like a drain pipe to get to these lower floors to get to these ladders. Um, yeah, I mean, you do what you gotta do. Yeah. Uh, and some other people were desperate and feared rescue would come too late. And despite those on the ground, waving at them to stay put, even holding up signs telling those who were trapped to stay calm and that the fire was out, none of the 40 people who jumped survived. And 30 of them had jumped after the fire had already subsided. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. I watched a documentary about the fire uh, from a American fire agency. It showed several recordings of the people jumping. And that's what I was talking about earlier. I feel like I need to stress, this is not suicide. This is no. This is desperation. The last ditch effort for control. All that smoke and heat around you has to be torturous. And I can say... Well. 
And it's your it's your base level instinct. Yeah. Get away from fire. Yeah. Like I can say with almost a hundred percent certainty that none of those forty people went into work with the intention of jumping out of a high rise. Yeah. Uh Caitlin Doty talked about it on one of her podcast episodes and she called it the uh she called it shit. Choosing the least worth worst death. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the pe- the people who jumped reached out and tried to grab onto ladders. You know, they were. It's hard to describe. It's like you see that game where like, God, I can't remember what it's called now, but like the guy just falling through the air, like spinning around. Yeah, that's what this looked like. Because they were reaching out and like sometimes they would hit a ladder and it was just like watching a body spiral in there and it was like super fucking unsettling. And after all of this, the death count comes to somewhere between 179 and 189 people. 345 were injured. At that time, this was the highest number of fatalities caused by a, uh, an event in a, in a, in a high rise. That historic gold medal was stolen from them after the attacks of the World Trade Center in September 11th, 2001. Just out of curiosity, do you remember where you were when you found out about yep. that? I got to watch it. I did too. Not like there, but I had been stung by a scorpion <laughs> the night before. What? Yeah. So my parents' house, when we moved there there weren't any houses like in front of us. Mm -hmm. Our row of houses was basically like the end of the um, construction when we initially moved there. And then they started building new houses. And so my mom and I went for a walk um, at night. And then when we came back home, I was laying on my bedroom floor, listening to music or, you know, whatever a angsty 11 year old does. And, um, I started feeling this really sharp pain in, like, the back of my knee. And so bad that, like, I jumped up and I remember where I was, like, wearing jeans with a belt on. Like, and I just tore them down. Because, like, whatever, there was something in my pants that was hurting. And then I saw the scorpion. I book it out of my bedroom because, like, I don't know. All I know about scorpions is that they can kill you. Yeah. And so I run straight to mom, freaked out. And uh, dad managed to kill the scorpion. My mom talked to my aunt, who's an RN, who, you know, was like, if it was a scorpion in Oklahoma, like, she's not going to die. Just keep an eye on her. You know, she's not going to die if she's not allergic to it. It's like a bee sting. And, um, that, you know, to, for me to take Benadryl and ice and relax and, you know, try to get some sleep. And then the next day, um, my leg was still pretty swollen and uh, pretty sore. And I had, like, we had just gotten to, like, the middle school environment where you're, like, walking to classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like I could do that easily especially like not being super familiar with it still and so mom let me stay home on september 11th with my grandma 
and she was watching the news in the morning, and we watched all of it happen. Yeah. Like, just unfold live from the very beginning. Yeah. I, I was in my English class. My teachers just had it playing. Like, we didn't have school that day, essentially. Like, we were all there. Yeah. But they didn't do any teaching. We all just fucking sat around and were, like, staring at the TV. Um, and I remember chuckling at one point. And I think that says a lot about me today, where, like, I feel really uncomfortable. And I, I just go, <laughs> like, and the, Nervous laughing. the kid next to me was like, it's not fucking funny. And I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how to deal with my emotions. Because yeah. I will love it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, I remember that. And God, I remember just like all of the footage just being on repeat all the time. Like, yeah, how many times did I watch that tower crumble over and over again? Yeah, and if anybody out there needs a little bit of dose of, uh, you know, your white privilege, if you are a white privileged person, uh, I got to experience my mom saying, "Thank God you don't look Middle Eastern to me." Oh, fuck balls. So yeah. that was fun. Yeah. Uh, because we got death threats. Wow. Uh, September 12th. Uh, every Persian and Middle Eastern person in town uh, got death threats. And then I had to deal with all the racism at school uh, because I am extremely white passing. I have a very uh, ambiguous last name and a first name. A lot of people think that my family is Greek or Italian. Yeah, I can see that. Um, essentially my dad owned a pizza restaurant, <laughs> so a lot of people thought he was Italian, and, uh, yeah, and so we don't look like, my whole family, especially, like, the, the women in my dad's side of the family, are all very fair-skinned. Um, a lot of Persian people are, like, decently fair-skinned in comparison to, like, Arabic people who tend to have a darker tone to their skin. Yeah. But because my mom is like, you know, was like, you know, French and English. So she was always very pale. And so my brother and I are also both very fair skinned if we're not actively out in the sun all the time, you know, swimming or working or whatever. Uh, we can get a pretty good golden tan. But yeah, so like it didn't register with me as a kid. Um, the seriousness of those words. Um, but as an adult, oh, yeah. it definitely resonated. And I was like, God, I can't imagine being in that position. Like, you know, mom and dad had their phones tapped twice that we know of in their lifetime together. Wow. And that was one of them, was immediately after September 11th. So, if you needed your reality check of white privilege i, uh, I mean i I'm didn't sure that... but they <laughs> <laughs> i was well, thinking any... oh man i didn't even know any like people of color at that time yeah i mean anyone anyone listening i mean like the first the first victim of a hate crime after september 11th wasn't even middle eastern he was sikh he was indian oh yeah 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 and uh, because so many people associate turbans with the middle east yeah. and they're actually not yep and so, you know, the people in New York murdered a pacifist. So, good on you guys. One of the things that always stuck out to me, and I think is what made me bring it up about this case, too, is, like, 
that picture of the falling man. Yeah. And just how that's like the picture that Americans want to forget. Like there seems to be this narrative within our culture that the jumpers were wrong or bad or weak. How and but there was no getting out of it on September. Oh yeah. There was no if you were above the if you were above where the planes crashed, there was no saving you. Well and that's exactly what what like Caitlin said in her podcast was you're choosing the least worst death. Um, and the one you have the most control of. You exactly. are making the decision um, to do that. I mean, it's like a, oh, another weird, it's a, a fictional storyline, but if you've ever seen the movie, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Mist, it ends with, spoiler alert, if anybody hasn't seen The Mist and is going to, <laughs> that um, the dad character manages to get these people out from where they've been hiding from these alien monsters and uh, they're not seeing the end of the mist like there's no sign they're about to run they're running running out of gas they have nothing to keep them safe no idea how they're going to survive this and so he ends up killing everybody in the car with the gun he has because he has bullets in it Mm -hmm. And he puts the gun to his head and there's no bullets left in it. Because he was saving them from the worst death of the monsters outside of the car. Right. And then he, the spoiler alert is he then gets out of the car just as the American government is coming through and has killed all of the monsters. Like, moments after he just, like, killed his son and everyone that survived along with him. Wow. It's, yeah, it's such a dark ending. <laughs> but it's that, like, you know, which one is the, the better death? Like, if yeah. I had the option between, like, well, you're going to burn alive or you can shoot yourself in the head, either way, I'm not making out of, making it out of this. Yeah, and that's, like, <laughs> especially in this situation for me, like, the idea of burning alive is just, that's, like, the way, if I could choose one way not to go. Fire, I don't like. And maybe it's because I'm a water air sign. <laughs> uh, For me, it would be it would be drowning or I... fire. Just because I think it would be so long. Yeah, that's fair. Now, like, a, a combustion fire, where it's just, like, over in a second. Boom, you did. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like a, like, a house, like, smothering in a house fire? Nothing. Yeah. I'm good. Like... So, I... As I do, I went down this rabbit hole with this whole falling thing. And so the picture of the falling man was taken by a photographer of the Associated Press. And his name is Richard Drew. And Drew suggested that this man's identity should be left unknown. Like the tomb of the unknown soldier. Like this guy should be the portrait of all those who were forced to make that impossible choice. Yeah. The press, however, is a bunch of human garbage sometimes. And wouldn't leave yeah. it alone. So Peter Cheney of the Toronto Globe and Mail uh, tries to identify this guy. And hear me out because this story is so fucking bonkers. All right. He looks at this photo and he's like, oh, he's wearing a chef's coat. And he has uh, this warm, dark skin and a goatee. Uh, so it clearly must be this missing pastry chef, Noberto Hernandez. Uh, because obviously if you have light 
caramelly skin and a goatee. You're Latino. And so he decides that the best course of action, of course, is to approach the family at the memorial service that they're having for Noberto. He approaches them, his very religious wife and their three daughters, and confronts them with his theory in a photo, to which their daughter, Jacqueline, says, that piece of shit is not my father. Oh. And that fucking stings. Like, like how? Like, I get it. She's grieving. She should never have been approached with this question, especially where she was. But holy shit. Like, I could go on and on about the idea of this lack of compassion and empathy that is utterly bizarre to me that people wouldn't see these jumping people and go, oh, my God, I can't believe that they were put in that position. And like, that's how they had to deal with it. And that was like their only fucking choice. And it's, oh, they were weak. My son would have stuck it out till the end and and helped as many people as he could. And like just making all these heroic narratives. And that's great. And I get it. And I understand why it happens. But, oh, my phone. Uh, But making your child or husband or whatever into a hero doesn't mean you should be able to dehumanize the people who didn't have a choice or who made the best choice that they could. One of the other theories for this uh, guy who jumped, I can't remember his name, but he was actually an African-American man who worked in one of the restaurants. And his sister, when approached with the theory, said, my brother had asthma and he would have done anything to be able to breathe. And it's like, holy fuck. Just like, I can't even put my head around this. It just, I want to discuss it because of just watching these people. And that's the shitty thing about this documentary I watched was literally, they just kept showing people jumping and dying. I'm like, oh, this is lovely. Thank you for showing me this footage. I really needed that today. I'm not depressed. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Oh, so even, even just to add, Cherry on top before I continue on with the rest of the story. New York's medical examiners, I don't know if you knew this, refused to declare the deaths as suicides and insisted the jumpers were forced out by the unrelenting smoke and fire overtaking the towers. So that's fair. Yeah. But I think you can... Their their argument was that uh, somebody who jumps is a suicide. Somebody who's forced out is not a suicide. But I don't think... I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive. Yeah, I can see that. Like, you can be put in between a rock and a hard place and choose the rock or the hard place. But doesn't mean that one is suicide, you know? That, that didn't make sense, but... <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I, I see what you're saying. Anyway, off my soapbox and back to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have something else to add to all that. That was a hefty lot of me talking there. No, you good, you good. So Sao Paulo began as a mission that was built upon land once once owned, or belonging to rather, tribes of the indigenous to be peoples, because the Jesuit priests sought to evangelize and convert the tribal populations there, because white people. Uh, Some of these natives did convert, probably by force, but others did not yield their culture so easily. And some believe that this was the start of a 400-year-old curse 
Now, I'm not the type of white person who's like, those evil natives cursed the innocent white colonizing priests. Uh, I know two things about <laughs> white people. They love Rachel Ray, and they are terrified, terrified of curses. curses. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I am quite the opposite. I, I would love for natives to uh, take back their shit, um, even to my own detriment. Uh, but I will concede that if I were a native person and someone was coming to wreck my shit, I'd fucking curse them. Yeah, why not? So there's this, <laughs> there's this vague legend uh, about the curse and uh, how it was placed on the 12 priests and their altar boy, making 13 in total. 13. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Audible eye roll. Yeah. There's one report I read about the land uh, where the Duomo was located being a pillory. I assume you know what that is, but in case our listeners do not, that is a place where uh, slaves are taken for punishments uh, to be tortured, sometimes to death. And if this were, you know, to scar the veil with their anguish and pain and sorrow people would avoid that area even after slavery had been abolished because there were frightened, frightening voices uh, and cries for mercy that have been heard there. There's a follow-up to the curse story and it's a pretty urban legendy sort of thing. So it's a lot of, it also might've been this, uh, but it's a story that involves a 26 year old chemist named Paul Campbell. And I'm going to pause here. Because I could not believe that this Brazilian guy was named Paul Campbell. But in eight out of the nine stories I read, it was fucking Paul Campbell. Yeah, I mean, my case, his name is Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) So. But I'm going to tell you. His His brother's name is Carlos and his name is Wallace. And I don't understand. So I'm going to tell you this urban legendy thing, and then I'm going to tell you what I found out about this urban legend, because it all takes place right here. Uh, so, 1948, Paul lived with the uh, 11 members of his nuclear and extended family on the property that Duelma Building would later be built upon. Paul comes home one day and decides, man, it's high time that I killed this entire family and bury them in the backyard. So he Not did. Casual normal family stuff. That's right. And then he turned the gun on himself. In some versions of this tale, uh, they claim that the murder-suicide was another attempt by the natives to reclaim the land. There were <laughs> there are 12 supposed casualties from Paul's actions, but there is also a 13th. One of the emergency responders contracted an infection from one of the dead bodies, and he died the next day, numbering in 13 total deaths. Again, (laughs) again, this is all very vague urban legend territory. There's also a version where it's Paul and two sisters and his mother and a rando T-virus guy. Uh, But (laughs) the actual crime I found out about this was a little bit different. It did not take place in the same plot as the Joelma building uh Joelma Joelma building uh but it was only about a block away so if this was a cursed thing on the land still a possibility 
So this story is called The Crime de Poco, a.k.a. The Pit Crime, a.k.a. The Crime Well. <laughs> That'd be a good podcast name. Right? So Paula Fiera de Camargo, that was a little more convincing for me, was a 26-year-old chemist and assistant professor at the University of Sao Paulo. Paulo killed his mother, 56-year-old Bendita Ferreira de Camargo, uh, and his sisters, 23-year-old Maria Antoinetta and 19-year-old Cordelia. Her name is Maria Antoinetta. Yep. Yeah. Early in 1948, I'm sorry, in November of 1948, uh, Paulo told his friends, hey, I'm going to visit my family out of town. A few days later, he claims his mother and sisters died in a car accident. Friends and family were really suspicious about this because there was no funeral. These suspicions eventually get around to the police who initiated an investigation as these women were never accounted for. Meanwhile, Paulo had built a well in his backyard in that October. Something about fertilizer and his chemistry work, and it was all poorly translated from Portuguese. Come to find out, Dr. Hoffman, the professor whom Paulo assisted at the school, was interviewed by the fuzz, and he told them, Paulo had asked some interesting questions about how to efficiently accelerate decomp or corrode a corpse. Because Paulo is real fucking sneaky. On November 23rd, police show up at Paulo's house to have a little snoop about and talk about the well. The police eventually call in excavators to tear up the well, where they would eventually find three corpses wrapped in black cloth, arms tied, and tossed in upside down. Jeez. Paulo why they were digging, excuses himself to go to the bathroom, and then shoots himself. Dead. He, he committed suicide. There. I got that was my one suicide. So, the investigators believe that Paulo killed Mama Benedita and his sister, Maria, uh, between 9 and 10 on November 4th, with his younger sister, Cordelia, being killed sometime around noon that day, likely on her lunch break. There are... <sighs> Shitty. Yeah. I just wanted a fucking tuna fish sandwich. You dick. I want to enjoy a break from whatever horrible job I have. Yeah. Like my eat my stupid sandwich and sit outside. <laughs> so there are doubts about where they were killed as there's no evidence that it was done in the house. There's no bullet holes or anything. No blood. It looked like they had each been stabbed to death. Uh, and were in pretty serious state of decomp when they were found. It's thought that he killed them because he was in love with a woman who wasn't a virgin. And that was a big no-no. Although, wasn't confirmed. Also, this is just a side story, so let me wrap things up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. Uh, inside Clearly. the Joelma. Joelma. Joel, Joelma, shut up, bitch. Uh, <laughs> inside the building, as emergency responders were searching for bodies and survivors, they came across an elevator that had been sealed shut due to the intense heat. After a lot of hard work, it was discovered that 13 people had tried to escape using one of the elevators but died of suffocation and their bodies were burnt by the fire. 
not just burnt, really. One article described the elevator, a metal box, acting as an oven, resulting in the 13 bodies being partially fused together. It's claimed to have taken a while to count that there were 13 separate victims. They were also unfortunately never identified, and they were buried beside each other in anonymous graves at uh, Via Alpina Cemetery. So there are claims that cemetery workers heard groans and cries from around the area, and knowing that these bodies had been burned, the workers decide to pour water on the graves. And the cries stopped. In some tellings of this story, the 13 survived the uh, 700-degree elevator and emerged from the doors through smoke and fire only to collapse once making it outside. Some people call these people the 13 saints that broke the curse, and there have been bizarre reports about miracles happening around the grave sites, illnesses being cured as people pass by, miracles being granted. And while the church does not recognize the 13, I read that locals regard the burial sites as a holy place. Not sure how true that is. At me if you know anything about Brazil or if you have any information. Uh, this is allegedly... Uh, oh, there is allegedly a warning over top of the graves that says, do not light candles in this grave, which uh, valid. So if you didn't yeah. catch from what I was saying earlier, there is like no sprinkler system or anything for fire retardancies in these in this building. The building on the outside was made to be fire resistant, but then they filled it with wood and carpet. So good job, guys. Uh, and as I said, a lot of uh, a lot of this it basically changed the way the world looked at fire prevention in high rise buildings. So yeah. so after the fire the Joelma building got a major overhaul, took four years of reconstruction. Once it reopened, it also rebranded as uh, Praca del Brandera or Flag Square. This case would become a major inspiration, as I said, for fire regulations, uh, not just in Brazil, but around the world, even here in the U.S. In 2013, a Brazilian daily newspaper, the Folha de Sao Paulo, asked for a fire safety specialist to inspect the Duomo buildings. This expert reported that the renovated building not only met, but surpassed current safety regulations, having even included tactile floors for blind people in the escape routes. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. But I'm not done. (laughs) The last thing I kind of wanted to just touch on, because there's no, nobody's come forth and said, like, here is my official statement. But there are lots of people saying that there are paranormal activities going on within the building. That you can hear people moaning and screaming, shouting, overwhelming feelings of sadness and fear. And occasionally, a fire alarm will go off at random, which is just fucking spooky. Yeah. And I mean, and that kind of leads into the idea that no place that has had a huge amount of suffering or pain happen within it oh yeah is you know left unscarred absolutely and a lot of the things i read you know because they're all like 
people say this, this, and this. And I was like, but I want to, I want to see the primary source. I want to know what the person said. Um, but a lot of those articles were sort of saying a lot of these spirits are friendly, but there are dark spaces within those uh, halls, essentially, that bring a darkness and a, and a heaviness that is not comfortable or friendly. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, if you believe in um, the idea of, you know, like spiritual doors opening yeah. and things like this, I mean, that could have caused a portal, like with how much death and destruction happened so quickly. Yeah, less than two hours. An entire building. 170 some people dead. So yeah, that's the expansive knowledge that I have on one particular building. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that knowledge with the world. I hope you liked it. I just thought I just looked up haunted places. It's all that's all how it started. Tell me about your haunties. I'm going on a haunty raid. Well, there's so many good candidates for the episode title already. <laughs> so that one. There's the um, the one that I already don't remember. The chicken fried steak one. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. AJ will like that one. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like chicken fried steak? Aside from vegans. If you don't like chicken fried steak, you're wrong. Unless you're a vegan. Unless you're a vegan. But don't push your agenda on me. Yeah, <laughs> I respect right. you, and I don't think you're wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready to talk about Wallace? Tell me about Wallace. I need to know. Yo, Wally. All right. So Wallace Souza was born on August 12th, 1958 in Manaus, Amazonas, uh, Brazil. So it's like the area around the Amazon rainforest. Like I would have guessed Amazon that. River. But he was a Brazilian television star and a politician. He was elected to the Legislative Assembly of Amazonas until he was expelled in October of 2009, which is important later. <laughs> he obtained degrees from the College Board, or sorry, the College of Business in São Luís Gonzaga and the State College Basio Machado. Um, he also was married and had four children. In 1979, Sousa became a police officer, but then was fired in 1987 for pension fraud and petrol theft. What? Uh, I also believe that there is a little bit more into why he was fired, but I couldn't find any real detail or information on it. It's more of just a theory of mine. Okay. So he was elected to his position by the Liberal Party in 1998 and took leadership of the Social Christian Party and then was finally elected to the Legislative Assembly in 2000. He is most famous for a show he hosted called Canal Libre in, starting in 1989. Anyone who has been watching Netflix might be familiar with this um, because there was a documentary put out on there recently called Killer Ratings about uh, That's where I recognize Wallace Souza. Yeah. I didn't watch the show, but I remember that. So this program was something akin to, like, Cops or America's Most Wanted. 
in the U.S., but then it was also combined with, like, absurd sketch comedy. I want to watch so, it. So they would have, like, they had this, like, homophobic puppet skit and, like, some other skits and, like, comedy sketches. But where they really found their bread and butter was that they were reporting on the crimes that were happening in Brazil at the time. Uh, specifically around, like, drug trafficking issues and things like that. So it was described as, quote, investigative journalism aimed at fighting crime and social injustice. It ran until 2008 and drew massive audiences. It showed police raids and arrests with some of the presenters even following the police uh, chases in a helicopter. So very much like cops, like mm-hmm. that sort of idea of following the police and filming, or I guess now it's like what live PD and for obvious reasons, it became one of the most popular shows in the area at the time. People are macabre as fuck and they want to see what's going on in their cities and this sort of help to make people feel a little bit more comfortable a little bit more safe because they could actually watch their police department, you know, stopping the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And so the... I would feel a lot better if my police departments would stop the fucking bad guys. <laughs> stop being the bad guys. Yeah. How did you know? I was going to say stop each other. You fucking bad guys. Hey, cab man. The... Sorry, you can continue. I just needed to say that. I'm really tired. It's okay. I'm trying to get through this. Okay. Stop fucking it up. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so like I was saying, it, it fed into everybody's morbid curiosity. And the show seemed to get there right, like, after or right as the action was starting to happen. Which piqued everyone's interest, too. And, you know, like I said, drew massive audiences to watch the show. Because this was different than cops in that regard as, you know, the the filmographers are with the police officers in their car or in a car behind them. These were people who were separate from the police who were following their following the police and seemed to be getting there right when everything cool was happening. Hmm. Suspicious. And yeah. And so things started to get a little strange. Susan's people started getting there before the police did. Hmm. And reporting on the crimes and filming extremely graphic video. Like, extremely bloody graphic video. No way it would be shown on an American TV on the news. Absolutely no way. Um, they even showed a video of a suspected drug dealer's body being burned in the woods long before the police arrived. And something about this situation in particular caused concern with the police department, who had started monitoring the show and the situation, thinking that it was a little strange, and maybe feeling a little bit like they were getting shown up, because how were Sousa's people knowing... Like, how were, how were civilians beating the police to these scenes? Yeah. 
what are the police doing wrong, what, what's going on to cause this. So this report on this burning body um, on TV said that the man had been burned alive with gasoline. But when the camera showed the body, it was charred beyond any sort of recognition. The smoke was literally still rising off of the body. There was no autopsy done yet. How did they know he'd been burned alive? With gasoline, specifically. With gasoline. Ah, you little shit, you gave yourself away. So, in 2009, Sousa garnered international attention when there was an accusation made that he had hired hitmen to kill at least five people in order to increase the ratings of his show. It is thought that Sousa was attempting to remove rivals that were threatening his own drug trafficking gig, or perhaps people who knew too much about what was going on. (laughs) Did I not mention he was also trafficking drugs? Because he was. You did not mention that. You you left that little bit out. Um, Some, and... A huge amount of the population in Brazil, in this area of Brazil, still believe that he was completely set up um, by political rivals looking to remove him from his position in the government. So you've got the two sides. Obviously, Sousa's family is all siding with him, and then a fair amount of the public who have been watching this show and feel like Sousa was doing a lot of good for their city by documenting it. And helping to, you know, try to clean up the streets. And the argument being, even if he hired these hitmen, if these hitmen were just killing drug traffickers, like, are they at fault? Like, what are they doing wrong if we just need to get them off the street anyway? Which is a whole other can of worms. Vigilante justice. Yeah. For ratings. So a former police officer, Moesir Jorge de Costa claimed that he had been hired by Sousa to carry out at least one of these murders. Sousa's son, Raphael, was also arrested and sentenced to nine years in prison, facing charges of homicide, drug trafficking, and illegal gun possession. Mm-hmm. When the police raided um, Sousa, I say raided, when the police searched Sousa's home, they found a lot several weapons and ammunition that matched a lot of the um, bullets and perceived weapons that would have killed these people that died and a huge amount of cash. They found like two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars in cash at Wallace Sousa's home. And they also found a list of drug dealers in the area, some of the names already crossed out. <laughs> oh stupid man. So in October of 2009, Wallace was officially charged with murder, drug trafficking, intimidation of witnesses, illegal carrying of arms, and the formation of formation of a criminal gang. Uh, he was also kicked out of the state government. Duh. Yeah. They're not going to let him stay. Yeah. Um, and when his arrest warrant was released, Susan disappeared. Oh, no. Uh, civil and federal police departments began to search for him, and they set up roadblocks and began searching cars, just trying to find him. Eventually, Wallace Souza felt the pressure too much and turned himself in on October 9th, 2009, while still proclaiming his innocence, his absolute innocence. What an innocent boy. His brother and vice mayor, Carlos Souza, 
was also requested that when he when Wallace was sent to prison, that he would have his own cell um, and be kept separate from the people, uh, the general population, which does make sense because it's the same idea as like right, you know, he was involved with some of their arrests. Yeah, and so you know, trying to keep him safe until he gets to trial. And in general, because it's his brother, he doesn't want to see something bad happen to his brother. In December of 2009, Vanessa Lima, who is a producer on the show, was also arrested. And in 2010, Wallace died of a heart attack before facing trial. Aww. Um, his brothers did both end up getting brought up on criminal charges later in relation to the show. Uh, but nothing substantial or anything like really uh, no no huge amounts of time uh, because there's no actual evidence. Yeah, they don't have anything to put any of these people there. The attorneys thought that they had a pretty good case against Wallace, though, uh, but not so much against the other brothers. So yeah, I think that like. It's just was crazy to me to read about these, um, like, murdering for ratings. Like, trying so hard to get your ratings up that you're killing people. And, like, not to say that, you know, these drug traffickers were perfect angels or anything, but you don't need to be to not be murdered. Right. And, you know, they were, like, they were being killed, like, in front of their families, in front of kids. Like, yeah, it was, like, it was really bad. There's really hard-to-watch videos of the, what is it, Canal Livre's, like, reporters talking to people who had, like, just seen this guy get murdered, and, like, they're all distraught because, you know... They didn't expect to see someone get murdered or they were related to the person who got murdered. And like immediately after it happens, like dude is still laying on the ground in a pool of his own blood with like a hole in his head. And like, let's go interview his brother who's standing here. Like what? But I thought it was, you know, it, it calls into that, you know, issue that we've been having right now to get on another like social justice soapbox of you we keep seeing all of these people who are getting brought up on charges or who are getting abused by the police or murdered by the police or things like that or even in general like rape victims murder victims all these different people and then it becomes this well, but, you know, he had a felony. Okay. Yeah, and? Did he serve his time? Yes. Then, okay, why Why was this justifiable then? Or he didn't. Why is this justifiable then? Like, it's not up to civilians, to basic citizens or police officers to decide who gets, you know, you're not judge, jury, and executioner. This isn't the Wild West. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a process that everyone is supposed to be able to go through to a fair trial, which still is, you know, quote-unquote fair trial. I'm your huckleberry. And I just thought that, you know, this is sort of that same... Yeah. It brought that to mind of, like, it doesn't matter that they were 
drug traffickers. They should have had their day in court. They should have, you know, had to stand trial just like anybody else. It's not a moment where you get to say, well, because you did this, I get to do this. You were a drug trafficker. That's like the same as murder, right? Right. Now, now, like, like we had that discussion the other day. Like, there are some things that I would not forgive. But that's also me not forgiving somebody. That's not society not forgiving somebody. That's not saying you can't get help because I don't believe that you're redeemable. It's show me you're redeemable. Here's some help. I will have a very hard time trusting you forever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's also, I had a thought and then it left my head. I'm sorry. Ultimately, you know, it's not up to you. Right. And that's the thing that so many people, I think, forget is that it's not up to us if we're not on the jury to decide who someone, if someone is innocent or guilty. And that's, you know, we live we live in a, a society where we're supposed to be able to go to trial and have evidence be brought forward and things like that. And then a jury of our peers makes the decision and then the judge ultimately making, you know, the decision on the uh, punishment or whatever it is. And, you know, I'm not saying, obviously, if you're in a situation where it's your life or somebody else's and there's no other way out of it. Someone breaks into your home. I'm not saying like, try to talk them down, but we're also not talking about, you know, people who are trained professionals should be able to do this a little bit better. Also, your TV is not worth somebody's life. Like if somebody comes into your house and is stealing your shit, like, you know, call the cops or, or don't. Because stealing a TV isn't worth somebody's life. But, um, you know, like that, get insurance. Deal with it. But you don't need to kill somebody for that. Yeah, if your life is being threatened. Yes. Someone is, you got BCK standing in your doorway. Oh, yeah. Shoot that motherfucker. (laughs) Bye, Denny. I would just throw Stevie at him. I would deal with it. You know... I saw something complete change, but we were talking about BTK. You think of this? Um, that during all of this COVID stuff, right? They've been talking about how they should start releasing some of the prisoners in, like, for nonviolent crimes, the people who are almost at the end of their sentence, or things like that, um, to try to lower the population in prisons so that we can try to like kind of curb the COVID in prisons. uh, Yeah. The horrible implications that COVID hitting a prison has. And uh, one of the people that came up on it as like getting released was like fucking Gary Ridgeway, the green river killer. (laughs) And they were just like, cause I was listening. I think it was on morbid. That they were talking about it. Um, either morbid or that's why we drink. And they were just like, I can't believe this is an actual thing that we might have. On top of 2020. All of the shit that's been going on in 2020. And then also Carrie Ridgeway might get released. Like, what the fuck are we doing? No, thank you. He didn't end up getting released. Good. Uh, but 
yeah, I just thought that was like of all the people, of all of these people, that's you know, who you... in jail, in jail over you know stupid cannabis laws, or in in states where cannabis is now legal and like people are still in prison like those people have to stay but you're gonna talk about letting a fucking serial killer out yep what <laughs> sounds about right what white people bullshit yep sounds about right <sighs> well that was super interesting i have not heard of that other than knowing that there was a documentary and being like, oh, I should watch that, and then never watching it. Yeah, I did the same thing. I was going to watch it one day, and then I found out that it's, like, all in Portuguese, which is fine, but I just wasn't in a position to, like, dedicate time to watching the subtitles, and so I turned it off. Mm. Because, like, you know, of course it's going to be in Portuguese. It's set, it's Brazil, like, it's a Brazilian documentary, but, uh, yeah, I just wasn't in... I didn't have the time to dedicate to watching the subtitles, so I was like, oh, I'll watch it another time, and then just never watched it, and then decided to cover it today. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but there's also um, a 60 Minutes episode that I did watch some of, uh, where they talk to one of the victim's daughters um, that was pretty interesting. They interviewed her and talked about um, the implications of the case and how it sort of changed a lot of what Brazil finds acceptable. Yeah. Um, because of the implications of it. Like, even if he was innocent, the idea that the the government is so clueless at times um, to things going on under their nose that it became a concern. It was also part of it um, caused from what I was reading, it caused Brazil to take the stance like we have in the U.S. and like that's in the U.K. that if you're going to hold a political office, you can't also hold some sort of uh, media presence like that. Oh, so like you mean Trump? Trump had to stop doing Apprentice, and there was there's a someone in I think in Parliament in the U.K. who had like a BBC show, and he had to stop doing that as a result. And so this has caused Brazil to start looking at those um, similar ideas that maybe it's not the best idea to have someone in a political office also have sway in, especially like a, you know, uh, America's Most Wanted style show. Yeah. Like maybe that's not the best idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. This makes me think of Man of the Year again. I don't want to watch the movie again. Oh gosh, you know, is that the one with um, um, Robin Williams? He's the president. Yeah. yeah. Did you see? Did you see that whole thing with Eric Trump and how he posted that Robin Williams bit about Joe Biden, and then Zelda Williams was like, "Get fucked, my dad hated your dad." <laughs> I did, but I believe it. I love her. Oh man. Anyway, I think I need to follow her on like Twitter or something probably be pretty entertaining. Yeah, she likes weeb shit, too. Well, yeah, I mean, Robin Williams is a huge nerd. Named his daughter Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> you can be a nerd and not like weeb shit. Hello. I did say that. What? 
I, I said she liked weave shit, and you said, yeah, she's a huge nerd. And I went, ah. Oh. I said, yeah, Robin Williams was a huge nerd. Well, they both watched the, the animes. Well, yeah, because Robin Williams knows what's good. Okay, bye. Are you... Oh, wait, no, we gotta do this thing. I was gonna say, oh, it's you, you, you do, the, do outro. the outro. What the fuck? My brain died. <laughs> Jesus. I, you would have said <laughs> bye, and I would have been like, okay, uh, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> I just say bye and hang up. <laughs> You get the you get the MP3 from me later, and it's me continuing the <laughs> the why outro is, alone. Why is hers so much longer than mine? No, I'm a dumb bitch. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today as we explore the strange and unusual of Brazil. Next week, we're heading over to New Zealand to uncover the bizarre stories they have there. We hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, your feedback. Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. You can... ever on a show where they fill people for ratings? Oh, man. I don't want to ask if you were involved in any of the things I talked about, so we're going to ignore that one. Have you ever been haunted by a ghost? Yeah, I do or, want to know that. Or, or cursed by indigenous peoples? Oh, God. What did you do? Yeah. Curiouser and curiouser. Do you oh, like God, chicken so fried steak? <laughs> yeah, send us an email about your favorite chicken fried steak. Yeah. I will read it online. Online, on air. Hi, baby. Oh, sleepy Roxy. You can also find us on Instagram at strange what? underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts, Roya Rampage and Calamity Casey, where we post the weird shit in our personal lives, like pictures of Roxy. She was asleep and then she looked up and she woke up and she yawned and it was cute. What was I supposed to do? You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roya Rampage. We're on Facebook. Just search for the Strange and Unusual Podcast. If you'd like, you can join us over at patreon.com slash strange unusual, where we've got some kicking new shit going on. We've got cool tiers that you can join. You can vote in polls. You can join our Discord. You can tell us what you want us to talk about. All for the low, low price of whatever tier you buy. If you can't... There's also bonus episodes that are available on there with more uh, coming down the pipeline. Oh, shit, yeah. If you want to hear about the the creepy-ass black-eyed kids that that Roya talked about, you got to get on over there. Because that was a freaky-ass story. Got to get that episode edited. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's that. We're also going to be doing some sort of riff tracks style episodes where we will be talking over episodes of forensic files or potentially episodes of the new or old um unsolved mysteries show so that you can listen to them at the same time that you watch the episode and enjoy our hilarious commentary as we talk about especially how dated forensic files is i love it i love it uh, but if you can't, we understand it is the time of the COVIDs 
and you know shit happens if you are tight or you know just are in a place where you can't not tight like a tiger but if you know <laughs> if money's you tight, tight. <laughs> or if you just aren't in a good place where you can contribute to that financially right now uh if you could just give us a like a share a review and let us know what you think uh that would really help us get out to the people who need to hear us most the people who like chicken fried steak of true crime are, and hauntings they are the people that need to hear us most they are this is accurate true crime fat kids i don't know anyway <laughs> uh so yeah and if you rate us a five-star review just let roya know on our email or on any various amount of uh social media I don't have Apple products, so I can't access the Apple Music podcast, whatever majig. But let her know, and she'll read your your lovely review online yeah. on air, just for you and everybody Shut else. Up. Fuck off! <laughs> just for that, I'm always going to say PM AM in the morning. <laughs> PM AM in the morning. PM AM in the morning. You're not going to know what fucking time it is. <laughs> I don't even think about that anymore because I have to be on 24-hour clock for work. So I'm like, oh, it's currently 1,700 hours. Trying to explain the 24-hour clock to people who are like have never used it is the most frustrating thing I've ever had to do at work. How do I know what time it is? You subtract, subtract 12. 12. Oh, that's so hard. Okay, subtract 2. Yeah. Like, is that 1,700? My... Seven minus two. What's seven minus two? Five? Oh yeah, look at that. Look what time it is. Five o'clock. Where were we? Oh, we're saying bye. Oh. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>